0: My name is Mark. It's good to be with you all this morning and open God's word together. We're continuing in this Luke series where we're journeying through the life of Jesus. And as we've been going through this series, we've been getting closer and closer to this pivotal moment where Jesus is going to go to the cross. And last week we looked at the Lord's Supper where Jesus sits down with his apostles and he says, this is my body, this is my blood that's given to you. And he gives this to them in the images of Jesus. Bread and wine, as he's anticipating the moment he's going to go to the cross to save his people. And tonight we're continuing in this story as Jesus continues his journey and perseveres in his journey to the cross. And we're going to look tonight at Jesus' perseverance in the midst of suffering alongside the story of Peter. And as we'll look in the story, Peter's going to have a hard time persevering in his suffering. And yet we're going to see the way that Jesus is able to restore someone like Peter after failure and the implications that that has for us. So I want to begin with a question today, and the question is this, how can I know that I can make it to the end with my faith? How can I know that I can make it to the end, that I can go through the trials and hardships and difficulties of life, and at the end, not to be torn apart, not to be discouraged, but to have my faith through all of that? How do I know I can make it to the end of the Christian life? Because there's times in the Christian life where we might be, if if you're following Jesus, there's probably times where you're so excited to follow Jesus. His word feels sweet and good, and you're ready to open your Bible. You're you're excited to share your faith. Maybe there's some uh, risk that you're willing to take, and there's this excitement about following Jesus, but there's also times where you're discouraged and where you're tired And you wonder, do I actually have what it takes to continue this? Maybe suffering comes up in your life. Hardship comes up in your life. It's not a result of something you've done. It just happens in your life. Or maybe there's a sin and an issue that you're struggling with, and you wonder, do I actually have the heart to continue? Because so often my faith feels weak. Another way you could think about it is like this. We could say, Jesus loves me. This I know. But my faith often feels weak. And I feel like I love so many other things than him so often. How do I know that I can make it to the end? How do I know that I can persevere when there's so many temptations? And in my own life, I've found this to be reality. When I'm confronted with hardships, at times it's just startling to see my own sin or weakness. And it can put you in the spot where you wanna ask the question, how do I know that I can persevere and continue? What confidence do I have so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus' perseverance alongside Peter's perseverance. So we're going to look at Peter and his perseverance or lack of perseverance in a trial. Then we're going to look at Jesus and consider why that can encourage us. And then we're going to go back to Peter. And after looking at Peter's perseverance and Jesus' perseverance, we're going to look at Peter's perseverance again as someone who's restored by Jesus and given new strength. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke 22, and we'll begin in verse 31. So Luke 22, verse 31, we're going to look at Peter and his story first, his perseverance in this trial. Now, for a little bit of context, uh, where this is occurring is after the Passover meal. And so this Passover meal has happened where Jesus told his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And they begin to question among themselves who this is and also who's the greatest among them. And there's this prediction, though, that's coming that someone's going to betray him. And soon, Jesus is going to go with his disciples to what's called the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is going to have this moment of just intense prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he's going to go to the Mount of Olives and he's going to have this intense prayer. And then after that, his betrayal is going to come about and he's going to be arrested. And so where we are in the story right now is Jesus has predicted that there's going to be a betrayal, and they haven't yet gone to the garden, to the Mount of Olives. But Jesus is going to tell Peter one more prediction in verses 31 to 32. Luke 22, 31 to 32 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, when Jesus says here, Simon, Simon, Satan, Peter demanded to have you, this first you is actually plural. So the, for lack of a better English equivalent, the best one we have is something like y'all. He's like, he, was, he demanded to have you. Satan demanded to have you, you all. He's after you. He's after the disciples. But Jesus then says, that he that what he wanted to do is he wanted to sift them like wheat. And the image of sifting like wheat is you would take wheat and you would thrash it around and the kernel would be kept while the rest of the chaff, the part of the grain that you don't use would be would blow off in the wind. And so the image is something like this. He's saying Satan's after you. He's after you disciples. He wants to destroy your faith. And what he wants to do is he wants to take you and shake your faith so that your faith Is destroyed. He's after you right now in the midst of this temptation, in the midst of this trial. And some people say that that's the image, but some would maybe say that actually goes further. And the image is like he wants to shake you and destroy you and have you so that your faith blows off and then you fall into his hands. And this is the image that he's given. He's after your faith. He's prowling around. He's seeking to destroy you right now. And he's after you, disciples. But Jesus says this but I have prayed for you. And this is now singular, just talking to Peter. He says, I've prayed for you, Peter. Though he's after you, I've prayed for your faith that it may not fail. And he says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This idea of turning again, he's saying, there's, there's gonna be some sort of failure that you're gonna have, Peter, there's, that you're gonna need to turn back. But this is not an ultimate failure because I prayed for your faith, that it wouldn't fail. And when you come back after the stumble, when you come back after this fall, here's what you're going to do. You're going to strengthen your brothers because I'm going to use you for my purposes. You're, you're going to be used to strengthen your brothers. And so get ready for the trial that's coming. And you think that Peter hearing this might hear Jesus speaking to him and, and hear Jesus saying that he's going to fall. And yet he's praying for him. You might think that Peter would be humbled and say, oh, man, like, Lord, give me strength to persevere. But Peter's response is a very confident response. He says in verses 33, it says, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So here Peter is all in. He's saying, I will follow you. Prison, I'm there. Lock me up. Death, death. I'm willing to go to death for you. I would would be crucified for you. I would die for you. Whatever it takes to follow you, sign me up. He is all in. And you might think that Jesus at this moment would say, yes, Peter, you got it. Be be like, yes, Peter, believe in yourself. You can do it. You can stand strong. But Jesus' response is, no, Peter, before tonight ends, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And so here's, here's the trial that's coming. Jesus says Peter's about to fail, and yet he ultimately won't fail because he's gonna be restored. And yet Peter says, "I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll never turn away. I will follow you to prison and to death." So we're gonna figure out what happens. Verses 54 to 68, it's 62. This is fast-forwarding now in the scene. This is skipping the garden, which we'll come back to in a moment. This is. Peter now, in his trial, he says, I will follow you. Jesus says, you are going to deny me three times. Verse 54, as Jesus is arrested. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, "Before the rooster crows today, you will deny three, me three times." And he went out and wept bitterly. So here's Peter. He said, "I'll follow you anywhere." Yet here, this moment comes, and Peter folds under this pressure, and his response—he is goes out weeping bitterly, overwhelmed by this failure of his faith. Now, there's times in our own lives where we find ourselves likely in the spot of Peter, where we said, Jesus, I will, I will follow you. I'll, I'll go with you anywhere. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've had these moments where you say, I will go with you anywhere. I will follow you anywhere. Maybe as a young kid, I remember imagining these moments where I hear about these Christians who would be brought to test for their faith, and they would be, um, persecuted for the faith. And you, you hear those stories, and I remember welling up in my heart thinking, yes, surely I would want to follow Jesus there. I would be willing to die for him. This moment of anywhere, Jesus, you would have me go. This love for Jesus, this desire for Jesus, this passion that I will follow him, but it's, it's not long that often we find these, ourselves in these moments where we realize that we've actually denied Jesus. Either by something explicitly we've said, I don't know him, or by our lifestyle. And we fall into these temptations and sins, where soon enough we, we see ourselves in the place of Peter, where we said, "I would follow Jesus," but soon enough we find our own strength failing. We find ourselves in a place of weakness and insecurity. And I just think over the last years, or in, in your life, w- what trials and temptations have you faced? What weaknesses have you faced? What things have we turned to? And maybe these are, for some of us, things that are known, or maybe there's some secretive things that we've turned to, ways that we've denied Jesus with our life, where we've turned in the midst of trials and temptations and gone to these other things, whether it's alcohol or a substance, whether it's a relationship, whether it's anything else that would draw us away from Jesus. We can so easily, under these temptations, find ourselves in the spot where we had this desire to follow Jesus, And all of a sudden, we see that it's lacking. And and maybe it's something that's gone progressively over time. Now you find yourself this morning where you're in a spot where you feel like you've just drifted away. And this passion, this desire you've had to follow Jesus has sort of mellowed out into a life that you just feel like you're slipping by. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a place like that? When return almost feels impossible, An important thing to remember is that this is not the end of the story for Peter. And even for us this morning, it doesn't need to be the end of the story wherever we come in this morning. But it's also incredible to recognize that none of this caught Jesus by surprise. Peter knew exactly the failures and weaknesses that Peter was going to have. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and he wasn't surprised by it. I think in our own lives, Jesus knows, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our failures. He understands the ways that we struggle. Yet what we're going to see in this story is that not only does he know, but he's able to bring us back. He's able to restore us when we find ourselves there. And so we see Peter in his trial, and he fails. He doesn't persevere through this trial. But what we're going to look at now is we're going to look at Jesus as we see this sharp contrast between Peter in Jesus and how they do in the moment of their testing. And so this is now verses 39 to 46. And we're going to look at Jesus' perseverance in his trial because when we look at Jesus' perseverance, it actually gives us confidence that we can make it to the end as we look at the strength of Jesus to save us. So verse 39, this is Jesus now on the Mount of Olives. So after the Passover meal, on the Mount of Olives, before his betrayal, but he knows what's coming. And he went out and he came and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a sharp contrast in the scene where Jesus is in agony in prayer. And his disciples are sleeping in sorrow. Jesus is awake and alert and praying, and his disciples are asleep. And what we see that Jesus is praying is verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he speaks of the cup, he's talking about the suffering and the judgment that he is about to endure. Jesus knows that as he's approaching the cross, he's going to drink this terrible cup of suffering, He knows this judgment of God that is going to fall on him. And, and Jesus is here saying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any way to save your people, if there's any way to go about this without this cup, please remove it from me. If there's any way that I don't have to go through with this trial, this trouble that I'm about to go through, please remove it from me. But at the same time, it says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's entrusting. He's trusting God in the midst of his trial. He's persevering with trust in God that he knows this great and terrible suffering that is about to come on him. And yet he says, Lord, if this is what you would have me do, I would go. And and I I think verse 43 is incredible because we see this image of this angel coming in the middle of Jesus' suffering. I think if if you were to imagine this, this scene, Jesus is praying. He's in anguish and agony. It's hardship you see the angel coming, you might think maybe this is the end of his suffering, and things get easier him, for him now. But what's astounding is what happens as a result of the ministry of that angel. Verse 44 says that in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So, what happens here when the angel comes? It's not an end of his suffering. It's not an end of his hardship, but it's actually that Jesus now perseveres and goes deeper and deeper into the suffering. This great agony and anguish, knowing the terrible judgment that stands before him, and yet he's praying and strengthened to continue to go deeper and deeper into the hardship and the anguish of his suffering. And so how does this encourage us in our trials because when we look at this story, what we'll realize is that often we aren't Christ. We're, we're not the one who's sweating blood in prayer. We're not the one who's, who's persevering. We're often more like Peter and the disciples who are asleep in the garden. We're often like those who, when a trial comes, we don't trust God, but we so easily trust other things. And so how does Jesus' perseverance here give us encouragement? I think the reason that Jesus' perseverance in the garden gives us encouragement is because ultimately he is submitting to the will of his father and he's obeying his father and trusting himself, but the plan and design of his father entails in saving us. It's about saving us. Jesus is here going to the full extent of suffering, not merely for himself, but he's actually suffering on our behalf. He's going through this anguish because he loves and cares for his people. He loves his father and will follow the will of his father. And his father's will is that he would save us, a people, to himself. And Jesus is here willing to go to the great extent of this suffering in love. And so what we see here is the ultimate extent that Jesus goes to save his people. And when we find ourselves, like Peter, asleep, what we can look to is Jesus, who is awake in prayer and persevering in the areas where we have failed. And so the significance of this is that faith is something that doesn't merely look at itself, but faith looks outward. It looks at the object of our faith. See, faith saves us because Jesus saves us. He's where our faith is grounded and rooted If you were to think about an example of this, maybe you find yourself in a place where you are hungry. And when you find yourself in a place where you're hungry, what do you need to do? It's good to know you're hungry. Like, it's good to know that your faith is weak. It's good to know that you're lacking and you need nourishment. But when you find yourself in a place that's hungry, and you have a good T-bone steak before you, the best thing to do is not to spend countless time examining your hunger, know your hunger, know your weakness of faith, examine yourself. But then it's this, to actually feast and to be satisfied. When our faith is weak and we find that, what do we do? We find that Christ is the one who's able to nourish our weak faith. And when we see him sweating blood in Gethsemane, we see the extent and the commitment that he has actually to save us as his people. And we can see that in our weakness. So this is the faith of Jesus. Jesus perseveres in the midst of the ultimate trial, where Peter lacks faith in this trial. But this is not the end of the story for Peter, because after this, Peter's going to be restored. And Peter is actually going to persevere and continue in his faith. And so the question we want to ask then is, what is it that allows Peter to continue after this? After a failure where he denies three times that he even knows Jesus, how does Jesus take Peter there and bring him back and restore him? We're going to look again at verses 31 to 32. We're going to go back there. This is Jesus again talking to Peter. Jesus predicting what's going to happen and telling Peter the end of the story and what his plans are. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Think about what keeps Peter here from ultimately falling away from Jesus. I think the answer is that it's the prayer of Jesus, as we see in this text. Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Satan demanded you, I have prayed for you. And so I know, Peter, the end of the story, that you are going to return because I am not going to let you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my hand, Peter. My father's given me you and you are not gonna be snatched out of my hand. I've prayed for you. I know the trials. I know the temptations. I know the troubles. I know your failure. And yet you will not ultimately fail because I am holding you fast. And it's an incredible thing to think that Jesus is praying for Peter or that Jesus prays for us. I mean, it's, it's really encouraging, and we do this often when we tell one another that I'm praying for you. This is one of the great blessings that we have as Christians. That we actually get to pray for each other. And when we pray for each other, we're praying for each other in the name of Jesus. We know because of the relationship that we have God, with God through Jesus, we can pray to God and our prayers are answered. But an incredible thing to think about is that not only do we pray to Jesus, but when we pray, we actually join Jesus in prayer. That Jesus is the one who is praying for us in our weakness. He's praying for the strength of Peter, that he would be able to go through his hardship. We, we often think of faith in our own lives as something that maybe we sustain by our own strengths and our willpower. What we see here is that actually Jesus is active and alive even in our faith. And so there's an illustration that uh, we, I brought up that I thought might be helpful for this. So often we think about faith as something that's geared towards God. We, God has his word and we trust in his promises. And that's absolutely true. Um, and that's part of how we understand faith. Like if Without faith, we cannot please God. We approach God in faith. We trust God at his word. And this is essential to how we live out the Christian life. But I think an element of faith that we often can so easily forget is this element, that faith is also something that God is at work in in our lives. That, that not only is faith something that goes to God, but it is a gift from God and is sustained by him. And here Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm praying for your faith I'm praying for your faith that it might not fail. Earlier in his life, when, Jesus, uh, when Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, Jesus says, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See the faithfulness of, of God to open the eyes and give understanding to Peter and Jesus saying, I'm not letting you go, Peter. I'm holding fast your faith in this of trial. So faith is something that we both trust in God. It's geared towards God. We must Trusting God in his word, but it's also something that we can't strengthen our own faith on our own. We actually depend even on God's grace for that. Think about a passage like Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, where Paul tells his audience that they're to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We trust God. We obey God. We we live out this faith in God knowing that God is ultimately the one who is faithful to us and who we are also relying on. This is significant because what it means is that when we find ourselves in places where we find our faith weak or lacking, that, that we don't need to just manufacture that on our own or wait till we have enough faith, but we can actually go to the God who can strengthen our weak faith. Who, who can give us strength when we find ourselves overwhelmed and overcome by temptation and hardship. Now, maybe a question would be asked then is, this is Jesus praying for Peter. And that sounds great, but that's Peter, right? I mean, Peter's a big deal in the Christian life. But does Jesus pray for me like that? And it's such an incredible verse for this. is Hebrews twenty-seven twenty-five, which says this. It says it's about the the ministry of Jesus as our high priest, the one who continues to live and to save his people. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, to the complete degree, because he always lives to make intercession for them. And so what this means is that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is a once and for all done thing. He will never sacrifice again. But today, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our sins, Jesus is forever living to save us. That we can actually approach him. The Jesus who prayed for Peter is not different than the Jesus that we approach today. So the question then is, how could Peter persevere after all of this? And ultimately, it's, it's because Jesus was holding him fast and because he turns from his sin and repentance. Jesus says, and when you've turned again, when you've turned again, Jesus foresees that Peter is going to come back to him. He says, strengthen your brothers. This isn't the end of the story. Peter is going to turn back to Jesus. He's going to be used for his purposes. Something that's Quite astounding in this story is the words that Peter uses. Peter says, I'll follow you to prison and to death. When the moment comes in the courtyard, Peter's not ready. He won't follow Jesus to prison and death at that moment. What's astounding is as you read the rest of the story and as you open up the book of Acts, you see in Acts 12 that Peter actually follows Jesus to prison. He actually goes to prison following Jesus. He had said he was ready at this time. He wasn't. He was depending on himself. But later, God is going to do something where Peter's going to be ready to actually go to prison. And not only that, Peter is actually going to follow Jesus to death. In John 21, Jesus tells Peter about the fate of his life, that he is going to follow him to death, loving and following and living as a martyr. Now, Uh, According to Christian tradition, not according to the Bible at this moment, but according to Christian tradition, the way that that happened was Peter was actually eventually crucified under the Roman government. And so Peter, eventually being crucified, ends up actually following Jesus to prison and to death. And how is this possible? It's possible because there's this turning that happens in Peter, where there's this great denial, this great failure, but Jesus is holding him fast through this, And he turns back. One commentator, Robert Stein, says this about Peter. He says, Peter's true faith and perseverance would be, would be revealed in his repentance, not in his sinlessness. His, his true faith and perseverance would be revealed in his repentance, not in his sinlessness. So for us to persevere does not mean that we are sinless. All of us would have failed at this point and be hopeless. But what perseverance does mean is this constant turning back, this lifetime of recognizing our need for Jesus and coming back to him over and over and over again for restoration when we find ourselves drifting. And what we see in this story is that Jesus is ready and eager to restore Peter. Before his failure, he even knows what's going to happen. He's ready to restore him. The same is true for us today. Jesus is eager to restore us when we've turned from him. We could so easily think that Jesus is just at his end with us. and so frustrated and upset. How could you deny me again? How could you fail again? What we see is that Jesus is ready to restore us when we've denied him. When I was growing up, one of the things my dad would say to me and my brothers is that he wanted one of the signs of the maturity in our family to be that we're fast repenters. He would say, you know, boys, is maturity in the Christian life that we sin less? And he would say, you know, I hope that's part of it, that we begin to sin less in our lives. And I think that's absolutely part of it, that as we grow and mature, our relationship with sin changes. But he would say this. He would say, what if we made one of the signs of maturity in our family that we're fast repenters. That maybe when we find ourselves drifting away from Jesus, rather than getting all the way down here and just having some catastrophic fallout and coming back, maybe, maybe we begin to see that we're here and we say, okay, Lord, forgive me. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back. Rather than getting all the way down the road, we, we, we begin to be soft and humble and recognize our faults and turn back. And I've, I can testify that one of the most Formative things for me growing up was seeing my dad be a fast repenter. Knowing that he he really loves and is following Jesus and he's mature and growing in his faith, and there's so many ways I respect him. But seeing him apologize and say, Bo- Boys, the way I just treated your mom there, that you know, th- that wasn't kind what I said to her. And so I've I've apologized to her and I want to apologize to you. That was so formative for me to see what repentance looks like, this turning back, and ultimately that, that has grown even more my respect for my dad in seeing that, seeing his sin, his love for Jesus, and his repentance. I think, what, what if that's one of our signs of maturity, even just here at Calvary, that, that we're fast repenters, that we're willing to recognize our faults? I think, what are the things that might be holding us back from repenting? Maybe it's shame. Maybe, maybe there's things that you've been struggling with over the last few years where you just haven't brought it out. But maybe it's time to bring it out. Maybe it's time to confess it, to repentant, to know that Jesus is willing and eager to restore. And to confess it to God. And to confess it with a brother or sister in Christ. And to bring it forward. Is there something that we're holding on to today? The beginning question we had is how can we be confident that we can make it to the end? I think the ultimate answer is we see that Jesus is one who can save us completely. Even in our failure, we can look to Jesus' victory. We can look to his perseverance in the midst of hardship. When we find our faith is struggling, we can actually approach him. We can come to him. Even with the weak faith we have, knowing that he is the one who is able to restore us. And we can know that Jesus is eager to actually restore us, to give us the strength that we need. We ultimately know that we can endure through any hardship that we have today because, as Scott mentioned earlier, we we see the ultimate victory in the cross. We know the ultimate victory that Jesus goes to for us. We have confidence that if he would go all the way there, that surely he's not going to give up on us today, So I, I just invite you, if this is where you're at today, if there's something in your life where you feel like it, it's been hidden, it's been pushed away, I just implore you, don't hold that back. There's so much grace, there's so much kindness, there's so much goodness in Jesus that we can bring whatever it is forward. And this is the Christian life as we continue to walk with Jesus and realize our need for him day after day, living a lifetime of repentance. So let's pray. Lord, I I thank you for the image we get in this story of Jesus' faithfulness, the one who prays for us in our weakness, the one who loves and cares for us, and the one who restores us. I just pray for brothers and sisters in this room who may be struggling with shame this morning, may have something in hiding. I just pray that you would, by your spirit, convict And lead them to joy in Jesus. It is a beautiful thing to know the grace of Jesus. And I pray that that would be clear in our minds and our hearts. And Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters who don't have something major or hidden right now. But they they would just be a reminder of your faithfulness. And that our lives would be marked by this constant humility and turning to you. Lord, we ask that you use us for great things. We see your ability to restore and use broken people, and I I pray for anyone losing hope that you would give them hope and encouragement this morning. We love you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise, and you are our confidence and our hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.